Let me start recording. Good afternoon. Hi, <laughs> Good afternoon, Vice Mayor Kelman and Councilmember Cleveland Knowles. This meeting is being held pursuant to Section 3 of Executive Order N-29-20 issued by Governor Newsom on March 17th, 2020. And all members are joining this meeting telephonically via Zoom. Great. Thank you. Well, then uh, we'll go ahead and call the meeting to order. Uh, this is, as Heidi said, the Special Legislative Review Committee meeting for Friday, March 5th, uh, 2021. And I think we have uh, two business items today on the agenda. And the first is consideration of amendments to the Saucedo Municipal Code regarding barking dogs. Um, so I think we have a staff report here from the city attorney and the chief. And I'll hand it over to you guys. Uh, Excuse me. Sorry, before we get started, can I just, did, did we reach out uh, Chief Warbacher or staff to the gentleman that was interested in this topic prior to this meeting? Uh, uh, Councilmember Cleveland Knowles, I don't believe that he was specifically notified of, of this hearing today or this meeting today. Okay, thanks. Sure, so if, if I may, um, I will jump in and give you a little bit of the overview and then let the Chief Robacher fill in some of the, the detail. Um, this item has been to the Legislative Committee a couple of times now. I think the most recent was last November um, and uh, the committee gave a little bit of, of direction and asked that it be brought back. So why we're, we're bringing it back to you today. Um, I'm sure that you've had an opportunity to look at the staff report. So you've got the background that our animal control services are provided through a JPA um, with the Marin General Services Authority and their contract with the Humane Society. Our regulations um, around animal control are similar to all the other Marin County jurisdictions with a slight modification about dogs being able to be off leash. That isn't really relevant to the conversation today. Um, the conversation today is really related to, to barking dogs and noise. And you have in your staff report the applicable regulations. Um, we've had uh, one uh, particular resident who's had some frustration um, surrounding our regulations and has asked that uh, the council review that and um, come up with any suggested modifications. I'll let the, the chief speak to the actual you know, reporting and investigation. Uh, but the, the work that we've done um, has been staff's recommendation that we don't really believe any modifications to the ordinance are required. Uh, but let me turn it over to the chief and he can give you his perspective on um, how the uh, department has been interacting related to uh, barking dogs and noise. Uh, thank you, Mary. Uh, uh, good afternoon, uh, Vice Mayor and Council Member. Uh, we have a, uh, a, 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 our own section of animal control specifically related to dogs making noise. Uh, it's the uh, only exclusion, frankly, to the uh, countywide uh, use of Marine Humane Society for animal control services. Uh, they, they leave uh, animal noise and barking and nuisance type things to local law enforcement or local agencies to um, uh, enforce. And so, what we have in place uh, typically works well for us. Uh, I did a little bit of research in advance of the meeting and we had um, in a 12 month period, uh, we had uh, 36 calls for service related to dogs making noise, dog barking. And uh, other than the exception of the resident who's not here today, uh, all of those were easy to take care of 
Uh, the process is really pretty simple. Um, I could speak for the resident a little bit because we've had a lot of conversation. And to be fair, he's not happy with us. Uh, he's not uh, he's not getting any satisfaction in the um, noise that bothers him from a, a neighbor's uh, dogs. Um, so the question is, is, is our municipal code ordinance satisfactory or not? And, uh, and I would say lar largely that it is. It's not working for this one particular resident. Our, our um, ordinance, like many of them here in Rin County, uh, frankly, with the exception of San Rafael, all of us do the same thing. We have a 30 minute time period that requires 30 minute continuous barking that triggers whether the dog noise is a nuisance or not. San Rafael does there strictly by time of day, nighttime, daytime, and then a decibel meter reading within a certain amount of feet from the property line of wherever the noise uh, is coming from. And, and the noise ordinance covers it, not an animal control ordinance. So that's the only exception here in Marin. Um, and, uh, and again, all of us in Marin, none of us have animal control services. We all use Marin Humane Society, except for, for dog barking. So our, um, you know, I, I encourage our resident to uh, make, you know, his uh, displeasure known and to share it and to, um, you know, it, it could come before the uh, legislative committee for conversation uh, about whether or not it's, it's outdated, whether we should change that or not. Uh, based on our uh, track record, our experience, and in my time here, which now is almost 12 years, we've never had a case like the one that persists where the dogs are uh, bothering a particular resident. The owner of the dog is very cooperative. He's actually made and installed cameras and, and they capture both the sound and the dogs. Um, the dogs are very large, frankly, but boy, are they loud. And uh, that particular dog breed is known for its exceptionally loud bark. Uh, the dogs do not bark uh, for very long. They bark a little bit, but you can hear it. They're, so we're not disputing that. It's just does not um, come anywhere near close to 30 minutes. In fact, it's, it's very short. Um, so we've not been able to make much progress with that one particular resident. Uh, the, the owner of the dog is very cooperative and wants to do whatever he can to help, you know, abate the noise and, and um, you know, get along with his neighbor. Uh, like much of Sausalito, this is not a, a, a um, grid layout of the streets. And so they don't live on the same street. Their properties actually aren't even physically connected by a boundary, but it's really not relevant because the sound travels from one place to the other. And so uh, it's not a matter of whether it's next door or not. Um, the, the other thing is, is there are other uh, residents in the uh, neighborhood. Uh, we have received no other complaints about the dogs. Uh, the resident who's not here today, though, says that he believes that other people have uh, complained to us. Uh, we did a search of calls for service on the other addresses near the um, resident who's not here and also the owner of the dog. Uh, we don't have any other um, complaints. So it could be the case of the other neighbors being, you know, commiserating with him saying, yeah, we've called the police too, but in fact, we don't have any way to show that they have. Uh, so we're only really having the one uh, 
you know, resident complained about the dogs and it's, a, and it's not an all day thing. It's actually only in the morning first thing where this particular resident is woken up in the morning by having the dogs bark and it's not a welcome sound for him. So we'd love to be able to help him out. I don't know that changing our um, ordinance would help. Um, I don't see where it would gain much for us in the long run, just for one case, even though it's been rather persistent. I think we've been working on this uh, for a couple of years. Um, so just to give it some context, it's not a one-time thing. Um, there's probably dozens. Um, unfortunately, the, um, and again, I'm representing the resident who's not here, I think fairly. Um, when when uh, he thinks our 30 minute, um, our 30 minute control is not effective uh, because the dogs don't bark for 30 minutes and uh, he chooses to call um, after the dogs uh, wake him up and are no longer barking. So he doesn't, and if he calls at all, he just says, I just want you to document the dogs barked again and woke me up. So there's not even an officer response warranted because he doesn't want the cops to come over because dog's not barking anymore. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't believe he's making it up. I believe he's telling the truth every time he calls uh, and says the dogs are waking him up. Um, but we did conduct an experiment with um, the resident who installed the cameras, the guy that owns the dogs and, and the capture sound and, and uh, uh, motion. And, um, we took the calls for service of sampling. I think there was nine times where we got the footage so we could listen to the sound and, and for how long and, and you know, verify that the dogs were barking and, and uh, which they did. Um, but again, that's the extent that the dog owner is trying to cooperate. Uh, he has more than one dog. Uh, he's had two historically. Uh, the resident who's not here, he said now that the person has a third dog, um, which is still within the municipal code allowance for, for having uh, uh, dogs no more than three. So uh, presumably that's going to you know, add a little noise to his uh, life. So I'm a little bit at our own, um, you know, we're, we're willing to still participate in helping solve that particular problem. I just don't know that it's going to help any to change the um, uh, municipal code. He prefers in his letters to us that we adopt something like the city of San Jose has, which I researched and, and talked to San Jose police about that. They have an animal control service department. They're a huge agency, of course, and they have animal control as a whole separate division of the city. And um, they, they will, uh, after they respond up to three times, the animal control, regardless of whether they heard the dog or not, will actually uh, issue a notice for a hearing, um, and then require the the part, you know the the offending dog owner and the um, victimized dog noise uh, recipient to uh, come to a hearing, and where the uh, person who actually has to, I guess in this case, like prove their case, is the person who's making the the complaint. It's a little bit, um, I'm, I'm probably saying a little bit awkward, but uh, there's no law enforcement involved in that. It's strictly animal control services that does that. And so it's handled by a notice to hearing. So I say that with a little bit of, you know, I'm disappointed we're not able to help the resident. It's always our, our 
aim to do that. Uh, we're successful at it uh, all the time, um, and and except this one time. And this this one time is of course bothersome for for the resident. I don't, don't minimize that at all. So um, that that's where I'm happy to take questions or suggestions for something else. I know this is not a hearing on the case, but in lieu of, of uh, changing our municipal code, I'm not sure what else to do. Um, Thank you. Thank you, Chief. Yeah, I'm interested to hear actually from Councilmember Cleveland Knowles, um, who has heard this before and looked at this uh, before. Anything, Susan, to add or any more context? Uh, so just uh, for background, uh, Vice Mayor, so I have not been on the Legislative Council, the Legislative Committee before. So this was heard by, I think, Councilmember Burns and Cox uh, most recently. So, but I did over the last several years as the Chief indicated receive numerous email correspondence from a resident who was not satisfied with the, the municipal code. Um, so I just wanna thank um, our city attorney and the chief for a very thorough and good staff report and presentation. I was pretty actually gratified to see the extensive rules that we already have in place in the code to address you know, what it sounds like is most of um, the noise complaints that we have. And given the information that we've heard today, I wouldn't recommend that we um, make any further amendments. I do think we have kind of a one unusual situation um, that, but it doesn't seem to me like there's an obvious solution for um, an amendment to our code that's gonna really resolve the issue and not um, kind of unreasonably burden the process for everyone else. So I, you know, so I think that's where I am at this point. I appreciate the chief's context. It sounds like really the issue there is that the barking while annoying is not excessive in time, uh, length of time, um, and which is why it doesn't fit within our municipal code, but that that kind of test should normally work to help mitigate issues. So I, I think I'm, you know, I would love to make every person happy all of the time, as I'm sure the chief and everyone else would as well. But um, I, I don't really see a clean amendment here that would be helpful to the present situation and fair to the animal owners as well but interested in your thoughts. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Well, let, let's see first if we have, I don't think we have any members of the public, but Heidi, if we do, should we take some public comment? Can you advise? Well, I'm not, I'm not seeing I, any members of the public on the participant list. Yeah, confirmed, <clears throat> Madam Vice Mayor. I don't see any either. Yeah, then, then I'll just say, keep it brief, I, I wholeheartedly agree with Councilmember Cleveland Knowles, both on the great job done by staff in articulating the where we are now and what other communities are doing. That's always really, really helpful. And like, uh, like Susan, I don't see a way to carve something out or to recraft this. Um, certainly if you know, we had other instances or was a persistent problem in Sausalito across multiple neighborhoods, we, we would have to do something more, um, but at this point, I think what we have is not only standard, but it's also really, uh, really strong ordinance. Um, so I don't, I don't see any room for or opportunity for change at this time. 
And please know that we're, we've not given up. I'd really like to find a solution. Uh, I feel I feel bad for the resident who's uh, being woken up in the morning. I'm sure it's a uh, unpleasant for the, him and his wife. And and you know, don't wish that on anybody. Um, I, and so, you know, I mean, we have our own ideas. Some of them include just if we could get the two parties together, not been successful in that arrangement just yet, probably because I would guess after a few years that might be in play there. And so that might be a little bit difficult to overcome, uh, but uh, you know, that's. Well, thank you. Thank you for that, Chief. I think that's really helpful. And I, you know, I do know that you always and your staff, your um, department do their best. Um, I think, you know, just to provide context, since um, we are being recorded and hopefully anyone who's interested can, can look at this. I mean, for the context today, what we're really talking about is, is there an amendment to the municipal code that would better protect all of the residents and be fair to residents and uh, resident pet owners? So I don't think we're dismissing this resident's um, legitimate concerns and, and thank you for your empathy to him and his family. Um, the question is about the, the code and whether a code change would, would work for the city overall. And I think what the vice mayor and I are saying is that yes, we have a lot of empathy for anyone that's being bothered by, by a neighbor, but the municipal code amendment um, in this case, we don't think is appropriate. So thank you for, for adding that. So I, I uh, agree with all that, nothing more to add. Um, so it sounds like direction to staff is, um, you know, we've accepted the staff report, appreciate the work that's been done, continue to monitor the situation, but no changes at this time. That sound right? Great, yes, thank you very much. And just for my clarity, um, as a new member of this committee uh, to the city attorney, do you prepare some kind of a just brief out, um, put back to the rest of the city council so that they know that we did this, should we report out at the next city council meeting? I mean, the, since we're the, not taking any action, there's obviously no further action for the council, but um, what's your normal report back? The, the standard has been for the committee to report out at the council meeting during um, committee reports, but if you'd like to explore kind of having maybe action minutes or something like that, we can do something similar to what I think the finance committee does with just a brief, you know, uh, in, in this circumstance, we would take the agenda and then note as the minutes council, you know, received report, directed no changes to the municipal code necessary at this time, uh, encouraged as um, indicated by the, the chief to continue to work with the residents to try and resolve their particular issue, something along those lines. That sounds great. Um, and we can also report out next week just on this particular item. Great, thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. Great, thank you, Susan. Um, okay, well then we'll move on to the uh, second agenda item, item 2B, electric vehicle charging within the public right of way. So I believe this is uh, Mary, you and Lily and Lily has joined us. Great, welcome Lily. Yeah, I think we're actually gonna ask Larissa to turn her um, camera on or Lily can introduce Larissa if you Great. prefer. Um, we can tag team this, um, but I'll, I'll turn it over to CDD. And then you've also obviously got Kevin McGowan, your public works director here, as well as there's a um, kind of public property component to this also. Yep. Great. Thank you. Thanks, Mary. Good afternoon. Uh, 
vice mayor and council member Kuba Knowles. Um, I think you both know Larissa, but she is our assistant planner in CVD, uh, taking over for Elena while she's out on leave here, been doing an excellent job and also is the staff liaison to the sustainability commission. So she's here to give you an overview of the memo we put together regarding EV chargers. Great, looking forward to it. Thank you. Um, let me share my screen. Are you seeing the um, slideshow? Yes. Yep. All right. So I'm going to do a brief overview of um, the legislative framework and history um, of the EV chargers. So in 2015, the city adopted the Climate Action Plan. Um, 2020, um, Governor Newsom signed an executive order um, requiring sales of all passenger, new passenger vehicles to be zero emission by 2035. Um, in 2020, low emissions action plan, the LEAP plan um, to achieve the low carbon emissions within the city um, in order to meet or, or exceed the state. Sorry, screen is halfway. There we go. Um, sorry, to exceed the California standards. Um, 2020, we also, the city also passed um, an update to the municipal code section 8.5, which adds the expedited permitting process for electrical, electric vehicle charging stations. Um, the general plan, which was updated and passed in February of this year, also contained um, many of the, um, the programs and for charging that were supported by LEAP and CAP. I'm not gonna go over all these. I'm sure you've all taken a look at these programs. So the first type of uh, charging in the city is on private property. So this is on in at homes and non-residential charging. This type of charging is covered by the expedited permitting process that was just passed. And it benefits both residential and commercial property. Um, some of the recommendations from the memo include um, discussing initiatives or incentives for private home ownership EV chargers. Um, and non-residential charging stations uh, for businesses and to discuss a, a work session of and get public input. The second type of charging is on public property um, and this includes uh, city facilities. Um, these were provided by Kevin. I don't know if you wanna jump in and say anything about these Kevin, but um, there are some current projects going on right now and lot two and some future planned projects on the Ferry land, land, land side project and the EV station at City Hall. And then there's also some, uh, some potential um, future projects at Dumpy Park, Lot 5 and MLK Field. So I'll just add that um, we're trying to include some of those on the capital improvement program. Um, obviously we're still, we're working on lot two to get at least one in. Um, and then the ferry land side has its own schedule. The EV stations at City Hall should be on the City Hall as well so that we can uh, 
request, see what council wants to do with these. Thanks. That's oh, right, Kevin, are these um, level one, two or three uh, chargers is the first question. And the second is um, how many spots do we lose per charger? I'm assuming just one-to-one, -one, but the level of charger? Um, you may know more about these than I do, but I think these are level twos. Okay. Is that right? <laughs> um, and then as far as spots, uh, the first spot has to go into an accessible parking spot. We would put that right on the, the edge so it, we would have another charger right next to it. In other words, each unit has two stations. Got it. Great. Thank you. So, Director McGowan, when you say one EV charger, you mean two parking spaces would be accessible to be charged. Is that correct? Is that um, what I heard, heard you just say? Yes, you are right, except you use the term accessible. <laughs> so the first- Oh, right. I didn't mean accessible in that big A sense I meant. You can charge two cars with one EV charger. Is that correct? You got it. That's right. Okay. Thank you. All right. Any other questions on that slide or should I move on? Oh, please move on. Thank you. Okay. Um, and the second type of charging on public property is really what this memo is about. It's charging in the right of way. Um, so the city, this kind of charging is for residents without any, without the off street parking or renters or those who do not have a designated parking space. Um, some, there are, quite a few parcels in Sausalito that do not have any off-street parking. Um, the image on top is from is one type of parcel in the city. Um, there are parcels that could add a off-street parking space, which would, um, the process was, would be to get a, a curb cut and, a, and install a parking pad. And then there are the lots that have no space uh, on the property for a new off-street parking space. Um, and these would need to, to do it legally, they would need to install a charger at the curb. And can I just ask a question about that? Do we mm -hmm. have the ability to do that now or do we need to have new legislation to allow that to happen? Thank you. Um, oh, then go ahead. Larissa, do you want me to jump in? Yeah. yeah, go ahead. So with the curb cut, um, we do have um, requirements in our zoning ordinance that allow, <clears throat> excuse me, for a curb cut that would um, allow an additional parking space on a property. The requirements in the municipal code require that um, an additional parking space above what exists would be created. So for example, if the curb cut would eliminate a, an on-street parking space, then um, two parking spaces would need to be provided. It with with that curb cut elimination. So either on site or um, off site somewhere. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. And so that could be tandem as well. The I have to go back and look at the regulations. I don't think it addresses tandem. I think the assumption is that it's a um, it would be a accessible parking space. But let me go back and I can take a look at that. And then another um, a particular point of consideration we wanted to raise is the increase of impervious surface on the project site as well for the parking pad. Even if the materials are pervious, the uh, materials would still count as impervious in our municipal code and some properties already might be 
above what they're allowed for impervious uh, surfaces. So if we wanted to encourage this, we um, could look at some sort of zoning ordinance amendment that would provide exceptions for in those types of circumstances. Great. Vice and Mayor, can I ask one more? Oh, go ahead. Please. No, no, go ahead. So I don't think this was addressed. So it's, I just want to thank everyone for the staff report. I thought it was really interesting. Um, but the issue that originally brought this up um, for me, which led for a future agenda item was actually the encroachment permit that we recently saw and the length of time and the kind of what I sort of saw as an excess of process for that. So in terms of an encroachment, that's not actually, so some people just need to install the charging in their driveway, which also happens to be already in the right of way, which is what I understood the last situation to be. So that it didn't really implicate some of these more, you know, these issues that you raised in the staff report. I was just wondering if you um, or the city attorney had had any thoughts about how to, if it was possible and how to um, make that type of an encroachment a permit um, more expedited. Sure, thank you for the question. So the, the last um, encroachment agreement regarding the EV charger was a, it was a parking space sim similar to this um, vehicle here where that owner had actually uh, received an encroachment agreement for a parking space in the right of way on her street. And so then the EV charger was associated then with the encroachment agreement. The question about um, these are definitely are situations where the parking space is, you know, in the driveway and out of what looks like the right of way, but still is in the right of way and would need an encroachment agreement. We would suggest adding um, potentially EV chargers that need encroachment agreements to the lower level of the tier of encroachment agreement review. So there's the community development director level and then there's a planning commission level and um, the director level is still a, a notice that goes out to the neighbors to solicit their feedback and then a decision could be made that if the council would like to uh, you know streamline that process that would be my suggestion a um, more lenient suggestion could be removing making making a process that is entirely administrative um, so removing the public notice process uh, that's associated with the encroachment agreement. We would also recommend um, removing or considering maybe adjustments to the design review requirement. All encroachment agreements need a design review permit as well. And um, so if we establish some standards with regard to what the um, EV, you know, aesthetics of the EV charger or some sort of unified standards through the city, then, then possibly design review would not be required. Um, it is an ex, ex, extra significant expense, expense to the property owner. Great, thank you. Great. Um, so yeah, quick question then here. Great and great questions, um, Councilman Cleveland Knowles. I, I was really excited for this item to come up because MCE is offering all sorts of incentives. Obviously Newsom has made um, broad statements. Um, MCCMC climate, it was focused on EV charging. My question is, was sort of a, a larger point, which is I wanna urge us to think about this holistically for the entire community in terms of how we identify sites and then how we incentivize those sites. And so my threshold question is, how do we 
do, do we as a city want to identify locations in the right of way where if we looked at the entire community, it would make the most sense based on what exists, what's in the public lots. Um, and so this sort of this, this fairness around it, um, but also a planning component to it. And then from there, I think there's opportunities to incentivize based on the type of uh, level, right? So I wouldn't, I really wouldn't encourage level one chargers all that much. Um, I mean, I think level two is where we wanna go, level three if we can in public lots. Uh, and so the question then becomes, can we, if someone's willing to go to the level two, um, you know, how do we streamline that review in a different manner? And, do, and is that even a worthy distinction? And I, you know, I'm speaking off the cuff a little here, so I'm not making a, a conclusion. I'm just saying that's something we should look at. I, I know, and, and Susan knows this too, that Sustainability Commission is developing a formal recommendation for the council to move forward with the sustainability and resilience hubs. And those are municipal microgrids that combine solar storage and EV charging. So if we have a, a larger planning holistic perspective, we could roll it into that program um, in a way that is more meaningful for the entire community. So that's just a policy perspective on it. But my specific question is, how are we identifying which, um, uh, which property owners will, uh, you know, where these should go? Is this the, the intention that a private property owner will say, oh, I want this, I'll put it here. Um, and then do we want to have some type of bigger picture around where they, we think they should go? Or, you know, is it possible that Kaz New Avenue ends up having 10 EV chargers um, and nobody else has them in, in the community? So just trying to get a, a sense of that. Oh, and then and yeah. fire district. Um, I think I'm more, um, thinking about uh, the concerns around the width of the roadways as well and uh, how that plays into this. So I guess the question really is about location. Sorry, that was super question. No. Um, I think it, it really can be structured however the council would like it to be structured. We were looking at Berkeley's pilot program, which allowed a certain number of uh, applicants to come forward on a first come first serve basis. I think it was 25 to install these curbside EV chargers in residential neighborhoods. The council, if um, they would like to move in that direction, you could uh, further refine that um, pilot program by identifying either, um, you know, targeted areas where you'd like to see certain number of applicants apply, or if you wanted to even it out throughout the community, you could do it by neighborhood as defined in the general plan and uh, allocate a certain number per neighborhood. You could also look at neighborhoods that are most um, severely impacted um, by not having ability to charge vehicles on their own properties and, um, you know, look at neighborhoods in that context. Um, you could look at streets that um, might be able to better support this type of activity, you know, parking on both sides of the street. Um, those are just kind of some ideas. Kevin might have some more ideas. But it really, it, you know, it's your own your council's program if you wanted to go in a pilot program direction so you could structure it however you'd like. Yeah, because the other thing that occurs is sort of capacity. We have a lot of older distribution lines, and I know we're looking at an upgrade on our, our system with PG&E, but, you know, I, I don't know if there's capacity implications for co-locating multiple within one vicinity. <clears throat> I've just been interested to understand that from an electrical grid perspective. Well, and that's going to be a statewide issue, too, I think, that has been brought up a lot um, in the press. Is, 
if we're going all electric with the governor's uh, mandate, do we have the grid and capacity to, to support that? Which is, yeah, but I agree we need to look at that in Sausalito. Can we um, or just maybe fin complete the presentation and then maybe come back yeah. and um, do this in the kind of public lot realm kind of thing and then the neighborhood? Um, yeah. So this next slide is talking about the um, city of Berkeley's residential curbside electric pilot program um, that they implemented in 2014. Um, and it really covers type B and C um, lots because A is really covered by our, you know, streamlining process. You have a driveway you can install on your property. So this is concerning type B where you would do a curb cut and a parking pad or type C properties where there's no um, ability to add a parking space on the lot. Um, and there's, yeah, as Lily mentioned, there are some um, implications to, um, you know, putting parking pads on these type B lots with increased um, possible loss of parking on the street for curb cuts and in increase in pervious services. Um, and then type C, there are streets that have sidewalks or um, where a charger could be installed along the sidewalk, or there's also areas where there's no sidewalk and a, a concrete pad would need to be installed um, for the station, for the charger to be installed on top. So these are some of the recommendations from the memo is to um, look into developing a pilot program such as the one in Berkeley um, and to get input from the Sustainability Commission, Planning Commission, and the Pedestrian Bicycle Committee on this topic. I know that I've discussed this, uh, the pilot program with the Sustainability Commission's uh, Transportation Subcommittee and also their Energy Committee. Um, and I think that the transportation committee is going to look into the pilot program and see what they come up with. And that's just the summary. Great. Thank you so much, Larissa. Um, Councilmember Cleveland-Knowles, do you, has this come up recently on the sustainability um, Oh, you're the, you're the PBAC, sorry, I thought you were sustainability. Yeah, I used to be the liaison to the Sustainability Commission. Right. We talked about this. They do have these two working subcommittees. I did reach out to Greg Thompson to let him know that this was gonna be on our agenda today when I got the um, materials yesterday. He did, um, I don't know if it's been posted yet as comment, but he did write back with some thoughts. Um, I know, you know, I think there's just been some frustration about the, you know, length of time that it's taking to get sort of any public um, EV charging in um, Sausalito. I've kind of noted at a bunch of different meetings, um, you know, as you said, MCE is, is working on this, but also the Transportation Authority of Marin has had um, very generous grant program for a number of years. And so I've been, um, Director McGowan is probably tired of hearing from me every couple months pushing forward, but we're the only jurisdiction in Marin that hasn't taken advantage of TAM's grant program to install public um, EV chargers. So what I think that- How big are the grants? They're, you know, I think 80% of the cost or I don't know, they're, they're 
very combined, you can combine them with MCE and as I understand other than labor, which um, as the director has correctly pointed out to me a number of times is a, is a cost and at a, <laughs> is a, also not always available. Um, you know, they're not a significant cost overall to the city. Kevin, do you have the exact amount now? Um, it, it's around $6,000. Um, but if we install more stations, we can get more money. It all depends upon how many we can install. And so, uh, yeah, we, I'll just leave it at that. So thank you. And no, um, Council Member Knowles, you'll never have passed. So thank you. Yeah, um, that's kind of you. Um, so, you know, I think just sort of prioritizing, um, you know, it seems like we've got these two things. We've got the public lot kind of charging um, on public property. And that has, you know, some one group, you know, certain groups of people that will use that commuters when we get back to commuting, tourists, people that are going out for dinner, you know, and then we've definitely got this um, kind of longer term thing about enhancing the ability of private residents to charge either at or near their home. So, and I thought the staff report did a pretty good job of breaking that up into into those buckets. Um, do you wanna, do you have a preference, um, Vice Mayor, about which one we tackle first or? Not at all. Um, I mean, maybe just on the private, I mean, on the public lots, um, we do have the, the Sustainability Commission had, I think a year ago, um, developed a list um, and sent um, and recommended uh, to the council and the public works that that those locations be prioritized. I mean, they're, I don't, um, and lot two was one of the ones that rose to the top because um, we were able to um, do the um, electrical while we redid the lot. Mm -hmm. So for example, unfortunately at Dumphy Park, uh, that project was too far ahead to go back and, and the type of electrical was too extensive to get in that parking lot. So we would have to, um, that's a, a bigger project just as an example. So, but lot two, I think, and, and Kevin can chime in, um, is kind of already wired essentially for that. So that I think is a location that has really risen to the top of the list. And um, then the other locations were, were Dumphy Park, Caledonia Library, MLK, Ferry Landing, parking lot B. I don't know what that is. I mean, I know one, two, three, and four, and then the old fire station. And Kevin, do you have, have you taken a look at these sites that the Sustainability Commission sent and have sort of any prioritization from staff perspective? Well, obviously, thank you. Um, obviously, lot one is a priority. It has the conduit in place. We don't have the wires in yet. It's semantics, big deal. Um, but for as far as the others on the list, uh, we obviously want to put more charging stations in lot one, and that would go in line with how the ferry landside project is moving as well. Those should happen at the same time. The other one I think that we've talked about in the past has to do with putting charging stations in the city hall parking lot. And I, to me, that seems like a, a good project that we could 
uh, initiate a little sooner rather than later. So that's kind of my priority or recommendation at this point. So if I, if I may, um, I think this should come to the full council uh, in coordination with sustainability because there are some major policy considerations to be had here around um, the, the location, the type of charging station, um, what the, the sustainability commission has been developing. Because I think in many ways, the big opportunity you mentioned lot one, I, I think is maybe a high-speed EV charging a lot number two. Um, and that's because I think it'll serve the residents as well as visitors, um, right? So EVs, as we, we saw here, are a challenge in Saucedo because many residents don't park in a garage. So how do they charge? And home chargers typically require a few hours running a cord to the curb, uh, not a great idea. So what if we had a situation where the city provided high-speed charging a lot too, where the city had the opportunity to make a reasonable profit? then residents could charge their car quickly. Um, 15, 20 minutes would be a healthy charge. And what if we looked at this as a program where we treated it like any other concession? We issued an RFP for the sites. We um, you know, highlighted a minimum number of stations, a power source. Uh, we looked at the difference between level two and level three, which I think is significant, at least in the time it takes to charge as well as grant monies. And then the concessionaire could make a capital investment in return for a 10-year contract uh, and a rev share plan with the city. So I, I'd love to take a step back and look at this as a holistic opportunity um, in that manner and hear kind of that analysis in a, in a staff report. And forgive me, you know, Kevin, if it's already been done, I'm happy to chat with you more offline about it. But I think there's an opportunity to serve both the public, the, the, the visitors and the residents and potentially create a, an income source uh, as more and more EV uh, you know, cars come online. Um, and then there's all sorts of concurrent, you know, legislative actions we may want to take. Um, you know, do you create fines for uh, regular cars parked in charging spaces? Do you create uh, fines for cars that stay past the time that they're charged? I mean, I'm not ready to move forward with any of those right now, but there's a lot of, I think, a big picture policy issues to, co to consider. Um, and then my two cents on, the, on City Hall is that that lot fills up so quickly when we have meetings. And then, you know, how do you manage that if you've got spaces reserved for EV charging, but you've got a really important council or other meeting, um, you know, are we losing out on those on those spots? I'm not saying it's not that it's insurmountable. I just I want to understand it holistically. So just oh, go ahead, Kevin. So I'm hoping I can comment on on one or two of the items that the vice mayor brought up um, originally for lot one we are kind of under a gun to at least put something in. Let's get something, <laughs> whether it's level one, two, three, four, or whatever it may be. So I think my marching orders at this point have been, let's get something in. And that's what Are you we're... talking about lot one or two, Kevin? Sorry, lot, lot two. Yeah. Oh, okay. Great. And then um, lot one still has some improvements to go along with it. So I would agree as we work towards improving the ferry landside project that we look at what you're suggesting of what do we put in there. I think that's a good goal. And then as far as City Hall, I think my approach was trying to anticipate in the future that we as the city employees or whoever, whatever vehicles we may use in the city will be generally more electric. And so we're looking at fleet management as well. So I was kind of steering in that direction. Great, that's, that's really helpful. That's an exciting direction. 
Yeah. I mean, I don't think these things are mutually incompatible. Um, I think lot too, I agree. You know, we have the opportunity, we have funding sources that are not kind of these revenue type share issues. They're just pure funding from TAM, from MCE. I think we should get lot to um, get at least two chargers in there that are, you know, if we can get the fast chargers, great. And just kind of start the momentum. I think over time, if we want to increase the number of those and have some kind of partnership with existing businesses, you know, we have talked about some of those um, at various levels before. Some of them come with, um, you know, costs. They have um, advertising on them, you know, um, digital displays um, that may or may not go over so well here. Um, some of them only charge for a particular type of vehicle, you know, make and model, um, et cetera. So there's a lot of trade-offs and I see that as kind of a longer term, not long, long, long term, but like year long to get a good RFP together, um, et cetera. Then there's also, you know, as you probably know from having worked with PG&E, um, we can't pass on certain electricity charges in certain ways. So there's some kind of complicated revenue issues with that we can charge for parking. Um, so I would like to sort of just suggest continuing to move ahead strongly with a lot to, um, you know, small scale options to kind of keep up community momentum and um, look at these longer term lot one and lot two issues, you know, in the, in the medium term. In terms of City Hall, I think I agree with Kevin, hopefully our fleet will, as we turn over uh, become more and more all electric, electric trucks and other sort of light duty vehicles are starting to come out. They'll be available in the fall. And uh, TAM will also have some for um, kind of municipal fleet type um, issues. So that's good. And then I think, you know, to your point, Vice Mayor, about availability, we can sign our electric spaces in any way, I think, that makes sense for our residents. So for example, EV charging during the day only when people are running their errands and going to the library, but at, in the evening or on particular evening days, perhaps open those spaces up um, more broadly. So I don't, you know, I think we can, I, I think we can be flexible in that. Um, I also, you know, personally really like the idea eventually of looking at the old fire station as kind of a um, hub um, for, you know, that's uh, a lot of residents park in that area uh, when we're all commuting. And um, I think that would be a great time and place to encourage people to charge their cars. I love that idea. Yeah, has that been looked at um, more specifically or just as a concept? That's a really interesting idea. It, it, right now, from my perspective, it's just a concept. Um, I like it. We'll put it on the CIP as a listed project. And it would be, so I, I like what, um, what Councilmember Cleveland Knowles is, is articulating, which is sort of a small, medium, large roadmap, right? So if we, and I wasn't aware that TAM had funding as well. I knew MC did. So if there's a way to combine that grant money to move forward, uh, I'm gonna push for level three chargers wherever we can, uh, if it's level two. Fine, but level three, if we can, uh, and um, you know, get something started, and then meanwhile, start to articulate sort of a holistic game plan for the community with locations um, and evaluating uh, ideas like this this hub uh, up at the old fire station, which I think is really compelling. 
Great. Should we talk about some of these private property yes, absolutely. items? Kevin, did you want anything else at this point from? No, um, thank you. That's very kind. I appreciate it. Uh, Kevin, I do have one question for you. So on the topic of the grant monies, and maybe uh, Susan, you have the answer here. What do we need from staff uh, to pursue those monies from TAM? TAM has a one-page application that I think the Sustainability Commission forwarded to Kevin. It's really, I think that the issue for Public Works, and Kevin, correct me if I'm wrong, has really been staff capacity to use the grant money when we have it. So I think, I don't know if you've submitted the application, Kevin, but I think the idea was that when we are finished with um, Southview Park and some of Kevin's engineers free up, that um, we would then move forward with this project. Is that, am I stating that even remotely correctly? Absolutely, I think you've got it right on the money there. We're just waiting for staff to free up in order to jump on this project and get it going. Aaron, did you have something to add? Uh, just a, uh, hopefully kind of to nutshell the um, direction on the, the public property side, so I, I make sure that we're all clear is to move forward with um, charging stations in lot two, um, utilizing whatever grant funding or uh, funding Kevin has identified for that. Continue to look at lot one and um, the city hall parking lot and to bring that forward, uh, coordinating with the sustainability commission on the work that they're doing. Is that an accurate summary? It, it is, but I would also, if it's okay with my fellow council member, I'd like to create the lens that we're looking at some short-term wins with a longer term program, you know, anticipated and um, sort of alert other council members so they can start thinking long-term about what that might look like. And, and then I'd be comfortable mentioning an idea like uh, the old fire station as a hub, just again, for people to feel creative in their, in their thinking. Yeah, and I think that we, I think at this point, it might be worthwhile putting that medium to long-term um, idea back into the sustainability commission's lap, maybe with a, an update to PBAC um, in terms of uh, they have, I think some interesting ideas about parking, et cetera. So, you know, maybe give some direction there, um, vice mayor and let, and then maybe come back to this committee at, at some point kind of around their hub you know, the hub idea plus the um, any revenue, potential revenue models, etc. Yeah, and the things that I stated today around some of those concepts, I did run past Greg. Um, and uh, I think he socialized it a little bit, but you know, he's certainly not speaking for the entire commission, but wanted to make sure that I was sort of on track with where their th thinking had gone. And it sounded uh, conceptually consistent. So yes, let's give this direction back to sustainability. They've done so much work already. I would love to see how this complies and comports with their, uh, their hub idea and then let them know short-term wins, long-term goals, and let's be creative. Okay, is that direction, Mary? Yes, thank you very much. Okay, and so let's move on to the uh, encroachment and right-of-way issues. Um, Susan, do you wanna lead off? Do you have thoughts there? Well, what could we break that down into two pieces, one being kind of the new ideas in the staff report and the second being 
kind of this immediate issue of the encroachment agreements. Yeah, by all means. I mean, just on the encroachment agreements, I really appreciated uh, Community Development Director Whalen's articulation of that. I thought probably to start out that the medium approach, the kind of middle road approach that she articulated of having encroachment agreements solely for the purpose of EV charging without kind of these other parking issues brought up, you know, where it's like, you've already got the space, you've already got an encroachment agreement for your space, but you're, you're putting an EV charger in there um, or you're not implicating a curb cut, et cetera, that having the um, community development director authorized to grant those community, those um, encroachment agreements with notice might be a good start. It'll be faster than it is now, but it won't be all the way to a ministerial um, thing. And I would also recommend if they could come up with design standards, getting rid of the design permit for that. So, I mean, obviously we need to take a look at the standards, but if we could have some objective standards, I'd be willing to um, move in that direction. Yeah, I, I would too. I think um, this is a perfect example and a great opportunity to streamline the permitting and um, the process, particularly given the, the, the policy implications. So I would be on board with that. I would just want to make sure we have a very clear articulation of the criteria for when this applies. I mean, it sounds like we do, um, but I just want to, would want to be sure that we capture that. And, and maybe um, Larissa or, or Lily, can you repeat back to us what you think would be the um, the criteria where we could send it to staff for their ministerial review? What I heard is, I think from uh, Councilmember Cleveland Knowles, and correct me if I'm wrong, that if there's already an encroachment agreement that exists for a property for a parking space in the right of way, that we should look at ways to streamline that process to add an EV charger to that existing encroachment agreement. And I'm seeing some nods. So I think I, I heard that correctly. Um, and then we included in that, we would also be looking at how to objectify some design standards for consistency in the community with installation of the EV chargers and the right of way as, as well. So I think what we'd be looking at is actually a modified encroachment agreement design review process um, that would take it down to a, a ministerial over-the-counter type level. Yeah. And, and then, and, I, oh. oh, I just wanted to clarify, in our records, uh, when we pull an encroachment uh, agreement in the right-of-way, does it say for a parking space? It would, yeah, it would be for a parking space. Uh, one thing that just came to mind, though, is we would have to um, think about this a little bit further because the parking space that would be granted through the encroachment agreement would, um, the encroachment agreement allows that parking space to be utilized by the applicant exclusively. And so I think we'd need direction from the council, from this body person in the council on if that that's still the intent for the EV chargers. The Berkeley pilot program uh, requires that the spaces um, be open to the public and anyone can park there and they're not a private space for the individual who installed the charger at the, at the curbside. So that's for the curbside ones. Yeah. That's not true if you're actually going onto your own. Onto your own, near your, right, yeah. So if, right. if there, 
there's because of the way that the right of way line is along with our uh you know properties a lot of properties are well into the right of way so they're you know visually um i think there is a difference between the cars that are parked and they look like they're on their own property and then cars that are parked in the right of way on the street proper on the paved portion of the street so yes i was referring to on the street the the cars on the street if there are encroachment agreements for um cars that are parked in their own driveway or on their prop what looks like to be on their own property but it's this the city's right of way uh then i agree the process should be different if the council's intent is to have the parking spaces at the street open to the public then um, the parking spaces that have been privatized i think that the ev chargers could fit nicely into the existing encouragement agreement that allows for a private parking space. So Lilia, I have a kind of a weird use case. So um, where I live, we have a lot of parking decks and that extension of the wood um, onto the tarmac is right of way. And so it's not curbside, there's no curb, right? Cause it's coming off a parking deck. It is in the right of way. Um, I would not expect anybody else to park uh, on that um, transition zone because it would block my ingress and egress. But so do you, can you think of situations and you guys can think of this as you're developing more draft language, but um, sort of a con site constraints, like it's so clear to me if it's a curb, there's a sidewalk, it's on the curb. Yes, makes total sense. Um, but we have so many parking decks. I just wanna make sure we think through that. And again, you don't have to do it on the fly. I just wanna flag it. Yeah, I think that we could handle that by, uh, you know, if, if it's a parking in someone's approach or in their driveway, you know, to their property, then that would be a different case than actually parking, you know, on the street, on the street, um, you know, parallel to the curb or where the curb would be if there was a curb. Now, what if there's no right of way, um, but you still want to put something, can I, and I'm a property owner, go through the ministerial process? For an EV charger on your own property? Yes. Yes. Yeah. We have that process right now. So someone, yeah. That's what we just adopted was that kind of acceleration and um, efficiency of the private on private. I mean, the private installation of your own private EV charger should yep. be now accelerated and more efficient under state law. Right. I th when did, did we just do that at the end of last year, Willie? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. So I think, yeah. So I think there's, Kind of the encroachment type things that are encroachments to the exclusive right of the user which i think would include the instance that you were just talking about vice mayor with the decks or other pieces of property that are so unique that they would only be used by the property fronting property owner and um and then i think these other use cases that are more similar to the berkeley situation or more like your traditional curb um, situation. And yep. so I thought, you know, I was really, I hadn't um, seen this broken out in this kind of way before. I thought the staff report was really um, good. I thought it seemed like in terms of the curb and curb cuts that this might be a good um, thing for the planning commission to drill down on a little bit. Um, if you think that would be helpful um, and to come back with, uh, you know, with some plans. I mean, this whole idea of what would be publicly accessible versus not publicly accessible and the um, permeable surfaces issue. Um, do you think um, 
Director Whalen, that it would be good for us to be more specific? Or do you think um, this would be, I mean, do you think we need to do more work at this level here before um, the Planning Commission could, could weigh in? I think we have we have some good direction uh, to go to the Planning Commission with. I, I would also include in there a discussion about locations and um, get it to the Vice Mayor's point about how we could facilitate um, you know, having the chargers installed in an equitable way among the community or or if you wanted to target certain areas, but we could have the Planning Commission have a discussion. We could um, let them know pros and cons to each as well. Yeah, I thought that was a great point that the, the vice mayor brought up. And I, you know, I think what I have heard anecdotally is that areas with a large number of multifamily housing um, may be in greater need of uh, charging than not. And then I think we also have a number of areas of town that don't have good, you know, don't have good private parking um, so I would prioritize those areas. And I also like the idea of uh, making, you know, a certain number available kind of as a, on a pilot basis, like 25 or whatever you think is the appropriate number. And um, maybe doing first come first serve, but also maybe trying to allocate them throughout town. Um, you know, maybe first come first serve in certain districts, as you mentioned, I thought that could, um, could be helpful also. I'm also wondering um, if there's any bulk buying power around, um, you know, moving forward with five or 10 at one time. Um, That's what a lot of the early solar installers did, right? Can't remember what it's called, but to be able to aggregate that and bring them in. And also a lot of the vendors, I mean, like Volta charging is a, is a market-based or um, an advertising-based model, which we wouldn't, I don't think want in our, in our residential areas. Um, but, uh, you know, they have requirements, I think, around how many can go in one location or um, how many they can support. So just be good to maybe do a little research around the vendor side. And there's a lot of really good opportunities just to inform the conversation, not that we would select one over the other. If I, if I can just add to that as well, uh, maybe we could also look at aesthetics too and um, what kind of options they offer in terms of aesthetics and if there's a more uniform aesthetic. It really depends on what the council would like. I can see, um, you know, obviously the two paths, right? We could have some sort of uniform look in, in throughout Sausalito or we could elect, you know, kind of let it come in eclectically and um, put some parameters around the design and, and um, what we're looking for, but then let uh, the applicants actually uh, propose, you know, according to what vendor they're going with. And, and uh, Lily, have you already reached out to MCE or looked? I know I just, before this meeting, I looked really quickly and they do offer some type of bulk uh, situations for workplace or multifamily properties. So to Councilman Cleveland Knowles's point, there may be different opportunities available based on the density of the, of the location. And I, I would be, I am betting that the smart folks on sustainability have already kind of drilled into that so they could probably help inform that as well. Uh, 
I like the idea of having this uh, also go to planning commission to kind of massage some of this and see how it fits into the overall planning structure. So I thought that was a really good idea. Yeah, I mean, overall, I'm in favor of waiving whatever we need to waive. You know, the idea that a curb cut has to create two additional parking spaces is, it seems like it could be pretty burdensome. Um, so, you know, I know there's trade-offs, obviously, because you're losing on-street parking. But um, if that curb cut is creating a publicly accessible EV charging space at the expense of the property owner, then, you know, that might be a trade-off that we're willing to, to make. So, I mean, that was the type of trade-off decision I thought maybe the planning commission could be helpful in just sort of drilling down on, you know, as um, curbside parking versus uh, versus EV charging and how that would work out. And the other thing that they may want to look at the building department. Um, so, so for level one, I think you can use a standard 120 volt home outlet, but a level two, which is much faster charging would require 240. And so um, do we also want to allow some of the ministerial or reduced, if I wanted to upgrade the, you know, the electrical in my home um, and it's part of this EV charging project, it seems like I should be able to do that as part of it. Um, so just something to consider in the overall package. And then I have no idea if this is accurate, Kevin could tell me, but um, you know, should there be upgrades uh, throughout town from PG&E, would we want to tie that into any of these um, you know, uh, resource allocation opportunities? We would, but we need to coordinate that with PG&E. So there's a lot of coordination there. I don't want to uh, speak out of turn, so I haven't researched that yet. Well, good. I just want to flag it. I haven't researched it either. So I just, now it's just a flag, uh, but maybe we can, as we have conversations, bring it up. Yeah. Lily, did AB 1236 already address this issue of the upgraded um, electrical permits? I don't know if the assembly bill did, but uh, we actually um, took care of a portion of that in an ordinance amendment, I think about a year ago to our undergrounding requirements. Mm -hmm. We have an exception if there's installation of EV chargers, um, someone doesn't have to do the, the undergrounding. I did take a look at it yesterday though, and I noticed that it is specific only to single family and duplexes. So we might want to look at that exception as well. I'll flag that. Okay, yeah, that sounds, that sounds great. And also then, um, Lily, this is probably part of your package, but you know, does what liability does the city have? Who does the maintenance? Um, what happens when the homeowner installs it, then moves away? Um, is the charger subject to vandalism? Uh, what if it's, um, you know, are you a homeowner? Are you a visitor? Are you a renter? You know, those sort of un unintended consequences, if you will. Yeah, we can add a discussion about some of that. I know that I think there was um, some new state regulations about renters being able to install their own EV chargers as well. So we can include some of that. I haven't done the full dive into that though. Okay. Do you think the liability maintenance piece of it is, is gonna be complicated? So the, if, if we're talking about the, um, 
yeah, the chargers in the right of way curbside, or I guess through the encroachment agreement or an existing encroachment agreement, uh, we do have a robust section in our agreement uh, that addresses that. So I think it would be covered under the encroachment agreement, but that's why it's important to get the EV chargers underneath the encroachment agreement. Sorry about this. Yeah, and then also, and I know we have clear language, but you know, if somebody doesn't have an electric vehicle and they consistently park in this space, um, you know, I don't want to create homeowner controversy, but as you know, Councilman Cleveland knows, we could certainly sign it well. Um, just want to anticipate some things that could come up. Yeah, I mean, you can definitely, especially in these scenario, you know, be on the, the kind of things you can really see if that person has an electric car and they apply for one of these permits and then they just park there every day, regardless of whether they're charging or not, it's not gonna feel very publicly accessible, I think. So right. yeah, we'd have to. Exactly, right, we're, we're doing this to create a public benefit, but you just leave your car there all day. You know, please rotate so that everybody can share. Yeah, I mean, I think to the extent that we can do more curbside um, solutions that th those are more traditionally understood as publicly accessible and, you know, I know a lot of people still believe that the curb in front of their house is for their <laughs> exclusive use. But I mean, I think it, it might just be an easier scenario to start out um, granting a few um, or our first round only out on the curb and kind of see how that goes in terms of the publicly accessible ones. If I can, also um, another idea, we could also uh, touch base with Berkeley too. The pilot program started in 2014 and just to look at their website, it looks like they've moved it from a pilot program to an actual program in their city now. So we can ask them about lessons learned and especially with regard to the those, those uh, situations where it's right of way, but it looks like private um, development and how they've handled signage of those spaces and that sort of thing. That's great. Great. Yeah, that would be helpful. Well, thanks. I thought the staff report was really great. And I thought this was a really interesting starting of super important discussion. So appreciate staff bringing this forward in a really broad and comprehensive way. So, so for, I agree, yeah, this was great. And I think um, we're both really excited. So you got the right audience for this, this conversation too. Um, so is the next step then to uh, share this with the planning commission um, or some type of draft plan as to the encroachment portion of this? Um, can I ask a question actually? That's why I popped back on <laughs> and maybe Lily uh, can give you this nutshell as well. but. It sounded like the buckets were, you know, in existing, you've got an existing encroachment for your driveway parking. That's, um, uh, it sounded like that one was coming straight back to the council with a requested modification to the, the um, ordinance to allow for a staff level review of just the installation of a um, charging station on your property that have on property that is already subject to an existing encroachment agreement. I heard the direction do you guys want to see that before it goes back to the council yeah that will come back I, to the legislative committee with that work and then 
get direction to go to council when that's ready? I think that would be helpful. I'd be really interested if we could come up with, if I think Lily had talked about both skipping the planning commission and council approval of the encroachment agreement, but, but then also potentially skipping the cost of a design review permit if she could get enough design direction, if I understood that correctly. So if that's, if we're gonna put both of those in that one piece, I would kind of like to see how that works out if it's okay with the vice mayor. That's a good idea. And Mary, would that kind of an amendment have to go first to the, I mean, so if it came back to the legislative committee, would that also have to be approved by the planning commission or not? I think those regulations are in your zoning ordinance. So they would have to go first to the planning commission and then to the council. And when we come back to you with the draft ordinance and what that would look like, I think we'd look for some direction from you of whether there's just a report out from the legislative committee to the full council that that's what's happening. Um, so then it isn't you know, surprised to the council when it actually comes forward as, a, as an amendment to the ordinance. Okay, yeah, that sounds... Seems reasonable. So, so Lily was nodding, so making sure she had that direction. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> One clarification piece is I think I heard that um, notice should be included in that process. Notice to the neighbors. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I thought that was a good you said that if it goes to you for a director hearing that it is noticed, then I thought maybe we could start with that. And then if, if it looks like that's not enough of an incentive and streamlining, we can, or it's, you can say you've seen 20 of these and they were so non issues that we don't need noticing. I just don't know how many times it's going to come up that something might be a, a problem or something that, someone wants to know about before it goes in next door to them. I don't know enough right now, I guess. We could even build in a check back. You know, we do that occasionally, like after a year, I see how many have been processed and how that, that went, um, you know, and how much input we received from notice neighbors and, and all of those things. Yeah. I think that's smart to have a check back because, you know, of all of the parking in the right of way and the encroachment permits we've granted on the planning commission, Obviously, the intention is always for that applicant to be able to park there, but I don't know that we have any good tracking or measurement of whether or not it is, in fact, the applicant who is parking there or whether there's some type of rotation on the street, um, day versus night type situation. So there, there could be, and I'm just anticipating um, something that may not ever happen, but it, there could be a situation where this goes in, someone leaves their car there all day to charge, and someone who normally would park there uh, who's not the homeowner no longer can. And so it creates an issue um, and sort of privatizes that space. Again, just something to think about that an unintended consequence. Can I ask a question, um, Madam Vice Mayor there? Because in my mind, that first bucket that we just talked about, the staff work, those yep. are people's basically their driveway, right? Where they got an encroachment agreement because the, the apron and or the the landscaping you know, goes out into the right of way. So those, those that really look like private parking spaces, they just happen to have encroachment agreements. Lily, weigh in if I'm incorrect. So that's the bucket that I was talking about right. in that first one. Right. And then we kind of move into the next bucket, which is somebody who's coming in for a new encroachment agreement for parking um, and wants to include an EV station, um, charging station as part of that. My sense of it was um, that that, follows the same process you already have, but I don't, I don't know, Lily, if you had suggested any modifications to that. 
So that would be the go to the planning commission for a recommendation to the city council, council acts on the encroachment agreement and the planning commissions includes a design review component to that. Um, so I'll leave that one as its own bucket. Then there's this bucket, which I think you were referring to, which is it's public, you know, it's, it's a, it's a curb, curb cut. It's a, a parking space on the public street. It's a public parking space, but in some instances, you know, it's in front of somebody's house. So they've kind of historically used it as their parking space. They then put in an EV charging station under the program we developed. And all of a sudden, you know, neighbors from a mile away are parking there to charge up their vehicle all day. Um, so that was kind of the third bucket that I heard. Yes, I think that's accurate. Okay. And it also, and, oh, go ahead, sorry, go ahead. No, no, so that third bucket I heard was going, um, work with sustainability on the work that they've already done, bring that package to the planning commission for input back to this group and then through the process of whatever develops from there. Is that accurate? I believe so, yeah. Okay. And you know I pause this for a second. I, sorry to, to cut you off. Um, I, I don't see any members of the public, but we, we never took public comment on this. So yeah. <laughs> I just want to say for the record, if there's anybody here who would like to give public comment, um, we'll pause for a second and take your public comment. And then maybe the city clerk can confirm there is nobody. Vice Mayor Kilman, there are no raised hands at this time or members of the public for that matter. Yeah, sorry to, sorry to cut us off. I just make sure we, we had that. Sorry, Cleveland, uh, Councilmember Cleveland Knowles. Yeah, I guess, um, thank you, uh, Mary, for articulating the three buckets. That's consistent with, with my understanding. The only thing I would add is I would be interested in staff's recommendation as to bucket number two, where if there is a new encroachment agreement solely for the purpose of creating a parking space and installing EV charging, and it's for an exclusive use encroachment, that that might be dealt with in the same manner as number one. Um, obviously an encroachment agreement that also has trellises and stairways and, you know, everything else that is often included in one of these applications. I think that should just go through our normal planning commission city council process. But if it's solely um, around EV charging, um, I would just like staff to think about that. It may not make sense, um, but making someone go all the way through that process just for that purpose, I'm um, not sure if that makes sense. Or sure. Yeah, and I'd have to look to Lily. Sorry for interrupting, Councilmember Cleveland. I was done. I was just repeating. Myself. Sorry. Um, I can tell you, I haven't seen one that was like solely just a parking space. There's always something else, I believe, that's connected with it. But Lily, I, I could be over uh, over over uh, characterizing that. Carolyn, Sometimes they may just be a parking space. Her, yeah, her um, project on North Street. I think it. I think it was five. 15 North, I think that was just a parking space. Okay. Way to go. And then they added the EV charger. One thing to consider in that bucket number two is if the um, parking and EV charging use. So are we talking bucket number two? We're talking about on in the right of way, but on someone's property, not not curbside, right? Correct. That's it's not on their property because it's in the right of way, but it it I looks like their property. Looks They're, like it feels like their property. I don't know if that's a legal uh, <laughs> legal distinction. Okay. 
yeah, we can look at that. The one thing I flagged, the fees for the design review and the encroachment agreement that um, would be required to take a project to the planning commission are about $10,000. So that's one thing, yeah, that's one thing to consider with these these types of applications. If we do develop a good list of um, you know, design standards or performance standards for the EV chargers, I'm pretty confident that we could remove the design review component, or I think that we could, I could make a recommendation that we could remove the design review component if we get a good handle on that. Um, and then we could, okay, I have to think about it a little bit more, but I'm, I'm a little bit thinking that maybe we, we could create a separate encroachment agreement EV charger process. That's where I think we probably need to go is kind of carve out a section on the municipal code for, for EV chargers and, and have it, have the actual document that the agreement between the city and the property owner be the same as our encroachment agreement, but the, um, the process maybe be slightly different and the findings and standards obviously are different too. So let me think about that and I'll work with Larissa to bring um, that back through the process we've described. I thought the city of Sacramento had something along those lines, maybe Berkeley does as well, but I, that's a really good idea. I, I am a, would strongly support not asking somebody to, to pay $10,000 to come in for charging, especially since quite honestly, there aren't that many chargers on the market, um, at least at this point. And so I think we can really get our, our hands around what they look like, what the approximate you know, dimensions are, and maybe even staff you know, makes dimension suggestions, but we should be able to wrap around that. So the good, good instinct, Lily, I agree with that. Can I ask a tangential question to the city attorney? Please. Uh, do we charge a fee, a, a, like a annual fee for encroachments um, or have we ever considered doing so? Yeah, let me look at your code. Uh, Lily may know that off the top of her head. We don't. I, I think we have a fee built in to the ordinance, but I don't know that it's been collected, but I can get that information for you. My recollection is we have a fee for sidewalk dining uh, annual fee for sidewalk dining, but not actual encroachments, other encroachments. Because just this is kind of a little bit to the side of this discussion, but it has uh, sort of the more and more encroachments that I, that, you know, we see going through the planning commission process and the more that the public right of way looks more and more privatized. Um, you know, I just wonder if for the non-EV charging um, thing we would want to, if we aren't already doing kind of annual fees for, for that, whether we would, and then we would waive it for the portion, you know, devoted to EV, EV charging. I mean, I don't want to make this unnecessarily complicated, but I do feel like we often are giving up quite a bit of so-called right-of-way for fairly private uses without the city getting uh, compensated for that. I'm probably shooting myself in the foot because half of our, <laughs> our entire driveway and front stairs are. Uh, <laughs> oh, so you make an interesting point because like city of Sacramento, um, I had read they have put out an RFP for vendors to participate in their curbside electric vehicle charging pilot program. And that is bundled in a way that ends up, um, I think, giving a benefit to the city in a financial perspective. And so that's an, that is potentially a long-term policy um, approach. I don't want to hold anything up now for people, but to your point, um, Councilman McClivenholz, 
if we're just giving it away, um, I think we support that in terms of EV charging, but if there's a way to package this in a more meaningful fashion, let's, let's take a look at it. Yeah, I mean, so, right. I think we could still move forward, but that is something that's kind of been a, it's always slightly bothered me over time. Um, so anyway, just throwing it in there and then it would be an incentive. Once we created the disincentive, it would be an incentive for EV chargers. So. Great. Thank you. Anything further on that one? Uh, not for mm -hmm. me, Councilor Okay, so uh, staff, do you have the direction that you guys need? I think we do. Lily, yeah. Great. There's a thank you as well. I'm not to your yeah, face. Thank you. Great staff report. Yeah, really well done, you guys. Okay. And thanks uh, to Kevin and his team too. His office. Yeah, I want to make sure that um that we provide public works whatever support they need to move forward with the grants from TAM and MCE. So Kevin, if there's anything that members of this committee can do to be helpful on that please don't hesitate to let us know. Thank you so much. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, um, is there anything else from anybody here? Okay. Well then uh, I will move to adjourn. Great. Thank you everybody. Great meeting. Right. Thank you. Thanks all. Bye-bye.